G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 13 Preview Edition, uh, brought to you proudly by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Big news around, in fact, uh, as we're recording this, or not long before we recorded this, shock announcement in the football world about the uh, resignation, perhaps in inverted commas, of Collingwood coach Nathan Buckley, who will coach the Pies for the last time on Queen's birthday Monday against Melbourne. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some other big news stories as well. We're going to preview all the games, and we've got some wonderful uh, trips down memory lane to take with you at the end of this show. But before all that, I welcome my Footyology podcast co-host, Mark Fine. Big news day, Fine. Huge news day. I think if Eddie Maguire was still hosting the footy show, it's been a huge week in footy or a huge day in footy, except for Eddie, it's his club that's provided the news and he might be a little bit sheepish. Look, I I think we both were taken aback, not the fact that Nathan Buckley won't be there next year, but that he won't be there beyond the Melbourne game. Shocked us both, but we'll get into those details shortly. And it comes on the back of some other pretty big stories. So not only do we contend with a COVID-affected round with moving, not necessarily, of yeah, there's been a game move, but, but a moving feast where goalposts are moving all the time we now have to factor in big changes at one of the biggest clubs in the competition plenty to talk about Roko there is and I'll tell you what else is always big news Finey it's the best hamburger in the world you know what they'll change coaches I wonder how many coaching changes they've overseen at their time 83 years getting on to at Collingwood look they've been pretty stable Collingwood they would have been cooking burgers for Jock McHale back in the day. And they're cooking them now for, well, Bucks in his last game. A good way to go out, Bucks, except you'll be in Sydney. But when you get back here, why not get your chompers down to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, for an Andrews hamburger. It stood the test of time and it will continue to do so. Outsaw the Collingwood coach. And allowed to see every other coach because the best is going nowhere. And the same can be said for West Point Properties Housing. They are monuments to wonderful building with an, a respectful eye on the past in their heritage listing rebuilds and renovations. Yes, they don't tamper with the footprint, but internally they give you the modernest and the most cutting edge appliances and fit outs it really is a work of art west point properties nick bartels take a bow sir 
And we are also proud to be partnered with Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, including this year's European Championships, where we strongly encourage you to sample their tournament simulator while also dipping into all their written analysis. Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for its full season forecasting, which is presently indicating a very, very pronounced top eight in the AFL finding with all current clubs having at least a 65% chance of going on to play finals. Stats Insider also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything on there is free to use. So check it out, statsinsider.com.au. And give them a follow as well on Twitter, at Stats Insider. And tell them Roco sent you. All right, heaps of news to talk about. Let's get into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Well, no prizes for guessing what we're going to talk about first because it has just happened today. In fact, the morning we record this podcast, uh, sensational news. Nathan Buckley uh, leaving as Collingwood coach. His last game in charge of the Magpies will be the Queen's birthday big freeze game against Melbourne. Uh, I think it's fair to say not many people expected him to still be coaching next year, but I think most of us thought he would probably coach out the season. However, perhaps ominously, the Magpies did talk about a decision being made mid-season. Well, they've certainly done that. The Buckley legacy, 217 games he has coached over nine and a half seasons, 116 wins, two draws, 99 losses. That is a strike rate of 53.9%. The highlights, well, obviously coming so heartbreakingly close to being a premiership coach, uh, deprived of that by Dom Sheed's accuracy from the boundary line with just under two minutes left on the clock in the 2018 grand final. He's had some great finals, backs to the wall wins, obviously 2018 preliminary Final against Richmond, probably the most heralded, but a great win against the Eagles in last year's elimination final. Great qualifying final win over the heavily favoured Geelong in 2019. Taddy's ups and downs as Magpie coach. Uh, not a lot of luck either, I think it's fair to say. Finey, what do you think of the Buckley legacy and how surprised are you at the timing of this announcement? Well, in terms of the legacy, Unfortunately, football fans and, and history can be cruel and often your time in football comes down to a par in the book or a throwaway line by fans, particularly of opposition clubs, even of your own club. And I think the thing that stands out, Rowan, is 27 years of Collingwood player and coach and no flag, no premiership within touching distance, both as a player and as a coach, did his best, won a Norm Smith medal, did his best as a coach, certainly not disgraced any time as a coach, because I felt that 
for the most part during his coaching career, Collingwood performed above expectations, if anything. But the fact is, not only no premierships in or 27 years of playing and coaching, but that 27 years spanned or, or was in, in housed in a 30-year period. And in the three years he wasn't senior coach or playing, of course, they won a flag even more salt into that wound in a sport where really premierships are everything, aren't they? As far as how surprised I am, yes, I would have thought that he would see out the season and he put on a very unified face and a, and a sort of a, a, a played the party line at his press conference today. And we still don't know really whether sort of the suggestion was it was a decision made in concert, but that's not true. When a coach leaves early, somebody pulls the, you know, it pulls the, presses the button on the ejector seat. And I doubt it was Nathan himself. So, yeah, surprised and necessary? I don't know. I don't really think so because I don't believe the interim coach, Robert Harvey, is even in the reckoning for the full time job. So I don't know whether it was necessary. Maybe, and I'd love your opinion on this, does it have anything got to do with his positioning with the current board? Interesting that only a few days ago he came out in fulsome support of the board and sometime in the not-too-distant future of that, he's no longer coached. I'm not saying it was a reaction against that, but maybe tea leaves were red. It's all pretty... I think it's, it's all somehow... Uh, somehow it, it's interwoven. Your take? Oh, well, uh, there's no doubt there's complicating factors with all of this, even in, in assessing uh, how it all turned sour this season. I mean, the salary cap debacle, that wasn't his fault. It deprived him of, of three key players in his plans in Trelaw, Phillips and uh, Stevenson. Um, so that made a big difference. His reaction to the Trelaw thing became a point of some conjecture um, and perhaps didn't sit well with the remaining players. Perhaps that was a factor. And I think the board thing really complicates things further. I mean, logically, you'd think him coming out and expressing his support for the incumbents would only uh, firm his position because they are the people pulling the strings. But um, you know, you'd think if that was a factor in the speed of his demise, that would only suggest that we're about to get a replacement board and a replacement president. And right now, that doesn't seem the case. But it just it muddies the waters uh, incredibly because um, it's certainly in terms of what Collingwood do down the track, because obviously it's the current board that have to appoint and start searching for a replacement. Uh, will the alternate ticket led by Jeff Brown do their own search in the hope that they will be installed at the helm of the club? Can the two warring parties broker some sort of resolution so that even if there is replacements made to that board and there's a new president that uh, the coach they arrive upon is someone who all parties agree on? I mean, it just makes things a lot messier. Look, as far as Buckley's legacy goes... Um, I think it's pretty decent. Um, but I think there's also this sort of thing in the background with him about the difficulty he had as coach, as he had as a player when he became captain, 
in relinquishing control and getting himself psychologically on the same page as those he was leading. Because often people as gifted as him find it difficult to comprehend the mindset of people who aren't as adept or as gifted. Um, and that was an issue when he became captain. I think it was an issue when he became coach for quite a long time. And he's talked about this himself, that sort of process of the art of letting go, if you like. And that definitely played a big part in them nearly winning a flag in 2018. Ironically, having come so close to doing that, I suspect his instincts sort of got the better of him again. And he perhaps started to reassert a bit of that cautiousness and control and and that might have been reflected in the sort of more dour approach the magpies pursued on the field i mean it's, it's, it's just on that dour approach rowan yeah do you feel that and and i got a sense of this that a coach really would only employ those tactics or have that mm-hmm. philosophy if he didn't have true faith in the ability of of the team and the players within that the limitations had been set on the team's capability of moving the ball freely and fast. And that, as you say, might come from a player whose standards were higher than many of the players he coached. Oh, yeah, I think I think absolutely. Um, but, you know, I, I just sense that in 2018, he was so close to having got the flick at the end of, or, you know, during 2017, that I think he sort of took a, you know... Um, might as well go out with a bang, you know, as a whimper and and sort of was able to sort of go, well, let's, you know, let's sort of throw the cat among the pigeons and see what happens. And it worked. But that, you know, that that side, as good as it, incredibly as it performed and nearly won a flag, I think like some other of those Collingwood sides and the one in which he nearly was part of a premiership 2002, you're going to look at it down the track at the personnel and go, you know, it wasn't necessarily a great football team. It was better football team than those, the one which nearly famously upset Brisbane in 2002. But, you know, it didn't have a great forward line. The personnel pound for pound, I don't think was in the same ballpark as, a, as the West Coast side who only narrowly got over the line. So, you know, in a sense, that's a great coaching performance. But, yeah, I, I just think his own brilliance as a player and as a, a football mind, because you've only got to listen to him for five seconds, talk about the game. He is a brilliant, uh, you know, an analyzer and uh, has great understanding of, of game, which should make you a great coach. But the fact he was so good in his own right as a player, I often think that's really complicates the issue for would be coaches. I guess that's the other question we've got to answer here first. Well, what next for him? Well, he's talking about, a, you know, putting your feet up and spending more time with your family and whatever. Um, good, he deserves it. I'm not sure it'll last that long because he is hot property, I think, whether it be in the media where he's already shown how good he is or coaching again. I think uh, there will certainly be, he won't be one of those sort of now former coaches who gets overlooked for future jobs. I think um, there'll be plenty of people eagerly looking at his coaching credentials. I'll ask this of you, though, Fidey. What about where Collingwood go now? Now, you mentioned, you mentioned Robert Harvey. I think that's an interesting one because I sense that that is a real non-threatening appointment. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Robert Harvey, but 
uh, unlike some other sort of interim coaches, and we've seen it quite recently with Reece Shaw, they have a little bit of success and all of a sudden pressure starts mounting on a club to go with them on a more permanent basis. I don't think there's a chance in hell of that being the case with Robert Harvey. Collingwood, by its very nature, is a club that needs a big name or a big personality or at least someone with some experience, I think. I just can't see them ever taking a gamble on a a lesser name or an untried coach. Uh, So it it opens some interesting possibilities. Ross Lyon clearly is going to be the name on everyone's lips. Is he, though, the right match for Collingwood? Uh, We've got people like Michael Voss and Justin Lepich, both who coach the same club. Um, You've then got the really intriguing prospect for me of a guy like Sam Mitchell, another proven football brain, but still quite inexperienced as an assistant coach. Do Collingwood repeat history, do what they did with Lee Matthews, go and get Sam Mitchell, a Hawthorne great, and mould him into hopefully a successful senior coach? Or do they bite the bullet and go for a, not as big a name, but someone who's really uh, received plaudits at assistant coaching level, like a Blake Carousella or a Daniel Jean Syracuse or an Adam Kingsley? Uh, it's just interesting. Can Collingwood break the mould or the shackles of its culture and its history, which says has to be a big name, has to be a big, strong personality? And maybe there's plenty of validity in that, given just how much exposure that football club has. It's going to be fascinating to see which direction they're heading. I certainly agree with your take on Robert Harvey. First of all, there is a definite sense of cleaning the slate at Collingwood, not just new coach, new president, but new list manager, new uh, GM of football. It really is a a period of great change. And in looking to the future, you would hardly imagine that they would take somebody who was sat in the box side by side with Nathan Buckley for the greater part of his entire coaching tenure. It, It, just doesn't scream of change and for Robert Harvey generally a quiet spoken individual a great opportunity at least to wet his beak as a senior coach and maybe put his name up there with other clubs but I don't believe for Collingwood in fact the only chance Robert Harvey would have of taking that position on a permanent basis would be to uh, almost uh, and cricket score odds steer Collingwood into the finals that may sort of raise a few eyebrows and give him a chance. But literally, he would have to get them into the finals and win one to stand a chance. And we know that that's highly unlikely. So looking forward to the future, I think I know where you lean, Rowan, and I tend to agree. I think the more you tease this out in your mind, Ross Lyon, pros and cons. Pros, has any time been heralded as a footballing coaching genius? Certainly got some Kilda incredibly close. And we know that by the end of his time at Fremantle, it wasn't necessarily the dour Ross Lyon team that people had criticised so much that he left. In fact, set up Fremantle pretty well for the future. That being said, I think there are enough crosses, black marks, including, unfortunately for Ross Lyon, uh, a situation that arose at Fremantle with with lack of respect for a female staff member and with Collingwood just going through this internal review 
that was so damning culturally, I don't think they're going to be going for Ross Lyon. It's a hard call, but I think that's the reality of it. Could they pry Alistair Clarkson out of Hawthorne? Do they want to? I don't know whether A or B are necessarily ticks. All the others, the names you've mentioned, will be in the running, but I think you lean towards Sam Mitchell. Maybe there's a historical um, f- sentimentality with what happened with Lee Matthews, but beyond that, here is a player known to immerse himself, an ex-player known to have immersed himself in football who is clearly preparing for a position as a senior coach. And why not take this, this future coach now? I think the timing's perfect. And I really believe there's enough upside and a great way to present the new Collingwood with this fresh face from another mm. club. Oh, I think you're on the right track. Do you lean that way? Because I, do. You, I mean, your, your, your instincts in discussing this with me have really mm. put him at the forefront of my mind. So I, I imagine you do, because that's why I like him. Yep. Uh, you basically echoed all the reasons I have for thinking he'd be the right man. I mean, look, they're going to sound out Alistair Clarkson. You'd be silly not to. But I think there's something about the promise of the future with a name like Mitchell. And I'm very, very confident he will be a very successful senior coach wherever it is. If I was Collingwood, I'd be thinking about it in those terms and putting in a very uh, quick phone call to him before the Hawks start thinking the same thing and make sure they uh, get him on a succession plan. I mean, Rowan, how many times have they mentioned the clean slate, fresh start in that press conference? That almost, it almost says Sam Mitchell to me anyhow. Yeah, yeah. Well, we will uh, watch this space. Uh, No doubt there'll be plenty written and speculated about about who is going to be the next Collingwood coach. Well, were it not for that story, this story we're about to talk about now, Fanny, would be big enough because uh, fair to say the natives at Carlton are very restless and not just the natives, the people running the club because uh, big happenings going on there. Carlton, of course, losing to West Coast, a very undermanned West Coast. That didn't sit very well with a lot of people. Uh, Carlton have subsequently announced a bringing forward of a thorough independent review well independent in the sense it'll be led by there um still to be uh well he has been appointed incoming president luke sayers who won't step up to that role until the end of a season but will lead this review into their whole football department operations we've already seen uh since that announcement the departure of one assistant coach in john barker and uh, David T coming under increasing pressure. I've written a column, Finey, for ESPN, which is up there now. If you're listening to this uh, later than uh, Wednesday evening, uh, our Thursday morning or onwards, you can read that on Footyology too. My view on this, Finey, is very much that I think Carlton, um, certainly some supporters, and I think some people internally, set the bar too high for themselves. There seemed to be this sort of belief that they should be making finals this year. It wasn't one that I shared. I put them 14th on my pre-season ladder. They finished 11th last year. Didn't have a particularly good statistical output in any of those key 
indicators. The one thing they've done over the last couple of years is remain competitive. And I actually think that that's a bit of a, a tick for David Teague. In fact, they've lost 18 games this season and last season, none of them by more than 31 points. So they have been very competitive. That is a good coaching sign. I'm not sure it's a great reflection on the personnel at their disposal. Because what I see when I, I look at Carlton is a handful of outstanding talents. Four in particular, obviously, Walsh, Cripps, Wietering and Mackay. Maybe a fifth if Charlie Curnow ever comes good, but that's a big if. But beyond that, I see a lot of journeymen. I see a lot of plotters, to be a bit cruel. I see a lot of deficiencies in a, a wafer-thin midfield. I don't think this is a list which is going to necessarily advance that far at all. It could over time, but that will need several years' worth of decent draft picks and guys whose development comes along at speed. The Blues have tried to do that with the likes of Paddy Dow and Lockie O'Brien. Hasn't worked as yet. You've got to start wondering whether it will work for those guys. Liam Stocker's another one they're looking to. He hasn't really shown a lot yet, but hasn't had that much opportunity. But this isn't a great risk for me. And I think after 40 games as coach, David Teague doesn't necessarily deserve to be under the sort of pressure he's been put under. When I say pressure finding, Mark LaGiuda say the existing president has come out and said, David Teague, not, no pressure, he will remain coach. But I don't know how sort of much you can read into the support of a club president or board with a coaching appointment. So that's where I see the Carlton situation. How do you see them? The car has stalled. And the reason the natives are restless is because I think they understand that in the world of the life cycle of a football club in attempting to get into that window where they have a chance of winning a premiership, many of these situations begin at the bottom. And interestingly, you talk to North Melbourne supporters and they are accepting of the year they're having as the start of a process that will garner them young players and revitalise the club ultimately, as they hope, with the view to climbing up the ladder. Adelaide more rapidly even. Last year there was a lot of pain. At the end, some of these green shoots that people talk about and now some real hope for the future. Whereas Carlton seemed at the moment to absolutely, with exactly the playing list you've described, some top-end talent, and then players who have learnt to negotiate the AFL field. And when I say negotiate it, they keep their place in the team, but they are able to be competitive without being strong enough to match it with the top half of the ladder. And so they find themselves stuck in the position, bottom uh, top four teams, say, outside the eight. And where does that leave you? Not a lot of hope for the future. Carlton have put up with it for a couple of years and they seem not willing to be willing uh, to put up mm. with it any longer. Look, it's 25 years, Rowan, since they've won a flag. And this is a club and there's still Carlton supporters of age and of influence to have expected much, much more in that quarter of a century. 16 flags prior to that equal best with your Essendon or even at the time the most. And since then, the worst club in the competition. That is unpalatable for people who basically became Carlton supporters because they were 
the top end of town. They were as good as it got. It's like a breach of, it's like, it's like a, a broken relationship uh, that they're being cheated on. This isn't the team I barracked for. And those people of influence are now yelling from the highest parapet. And unfortunately, that doesn't augur well for David Teague or anybody else in a position of control at Carlton. No, and that's one of the ongoing issues, I would argue, that these supporters of influence tend to have louder and more powerful voices than their equivalents at other clubs. I think Carlton's worked very hard to rid itself of that reputation, and certainly in terms of its executive. The board, however, is a bit of a different story. I'm not sure much has changed on that score. Um, What they have to be careful of, I think, is that frustration doesn't cause knee-jerk reactions that ultimately do little other than to uh, exercise the demons, so to speak, because I think they've done a lot right. Um, There's a lot that hasn't been done right, but I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be fixed just by going, oh, well, this coach isn't up to it, we'll try another one. They've been there, they've done that, it doesn't work. You've got to be a lot more considered than that. Uh, And there are simmering... um sort of feuds that have gone on at the Carlton Football Club that have stymied their progress. The whole Stephen Silvani story is fascinating, stemming right back to the salary cap breaches and the fact that they felt that he spilt the beans of the AFL and many people feel that in his role as list manager, his time spent at GWS clouded his judgment with so many GWS hand-me-downs making the Carlton list and to this very day there are resentments with famous names at the club and there are rifts between Matheson and other famous people still around the club it's it's, it is a club of feuds isn't it certainly has been in recent years all right well there's one more story uh, very important and again very sad that we need to talk about and it concerns Adam Goods and the, uh, I guess, revealing of the news that he had been offered an immediate place in the Australian Football Hall of Fame, having now fulfilled the five years retired criteria. And um, he has, I won't use the word rejected, he has uh, turned down the offer of a place in the Hall of Fame because, sadly, he is very, very estranged from the game. He doesn't watch much of it. He certainly doesn't go to it. Um, The AFL, well, they apologised to him too late. They initially apologised in the back pages of an annual report in 2015. Not good enough. They finally came to the party in 2019. Too late. And interestingly, and again, disappointingly, uh, there seems to be a bit of a view among some of the uh, football commentariat that uh, they thought that uh, enough time might have passed for him to uh, build bridges and uh, get on with it, so to speak, not using those exact words. But uh, I think it shows a real naivety about the extent of the hurt felt by the Indigenous community about their treatment in society at large. And Adam Goods has become, I think, a rallying point for that. And I can tell you from personal experience, having uh, tweeted about this last night, namely the hypocrisy of the Herald Sun in daring to run a piece yesterday talking about 
how sad it was that he felt this way and had been ostracised by the game. Well, uh, thank you, News Corp, for uh, three of your leading columnists, Andrew Bolt, Miranda Devine, and Rita Panahi, leading the charge against Adam Goods when all this was going on, purely for clicks. That, in my view, played a significant part in the racist outpouring, which then followed him virtually everywhere he went on the football field. And frankly, I wouldn't blame him for not ever wanting to have anything to do with the game again, which is sad, not only for him, sad for us, so we can't pay due homage to an absolute champion of the game, but sad in what it says about this country and our failure to progress and to grow up and to understand the sort of damage that racism can do. That's how I feel about it. I don't like the way this has played out, Rowan. You see, I believe that the AFL should have gone to Adam Goods and said to him, we'd like to offer you a position in the Hall of Fame. A, would you accept it? And this is behind, you know, this is done in concert with him and not the general public. But B, if not, where do we need to move to? What position does the game need to take where you would be comfortable to take your rightful place in the Hall of Fame? It's as though an invitation was given and, well, he doesn't want to be part of it. Now let the public chew over that one. And it's divisive again because you are, you know only too well. You take up Adam Goods's cause on something like Twitter or Facebook and out they come from underneath logs from dark places with the sort of opinions and the and and the advice that harkens that makes us realize how far have we really come you know unappreciative what is he th- these are the sort of expressions that people throw or some people throw uh, unappreciative uh, complainer squeaky wheel troublemaker or at least you know what does he expect He's been apologised to, and as you pointed out, a very half-hearted apology, and indeed it was. So I feel that if the AFL was genuine in moving forward on not just their relationship with Adam, but more importantly, their positioning in the community with Indigenous, not players, but Indigenous rights and the respect for the Indigenous community, is there a position that they could move towards that would sit well with Adam? I don't think that's been discussed. And I wish it was before this ever became public. Then we would get a sense of progress. But again, I think we, we're, we're in a, another car that has stalled. Yeah, and no, I look, some good points. And uh, I, I think what will be of some interest is how that information got out. Because uh, if it does transpire that it's it's been leaked or emerged from headquarters, I think there'll be a lot of pretty angry people because it, again, causes uh, Adam Goods more pain that uh, he doesn't deserve. Well, that's what it is, isn't it? I get a sense of we offered him the Hall of Fame position and he said no. I I, I just Mm. don't think it reads well or sounds... It sounds as though Adam Goods has, you know, been unappreciated. 
why is it out there? And why did again there shouldn't have been an offer with some with a, a, Adam Goods is a sensitive situation ongoing. There shouldn't have been a formal offer without consultation and an understanding that he would accept it. Really. Well, the great, the great, uh, uh, another great tragedy of this is that we, uh, how long is it going to be before we can mention his name without this inevitable torrent? That's what I mean. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. And look, I saw some of it. Um, I I, I got so angry about it again last night that I sort of resolved to out any sort of blatant racism on my feed, which I did. And there wasn't as much as I feared there might be, but I'm told that uh, like, for instance, Facebook pages where that Herald Sun story was posted or other media outlets, Facebook pages, the comments were quite disgusting. And it, it really, the sort of tacit approval given in organs like the Herald Sun to those outright bloody racists and, and idiots who decided to jump on the bandwagon of booing even after they were told what this actually meant and to cut it out. You know, it just it just underlines to me that we're a pretty immature country and we're a pretty insensitive country. And it's only when people actually get their heads around this sort of stuff that I think we can say we've really dragged ourselves in into the, the modern world. It's, it's just sad. And um, I don't know what it's going to take for, for people to change. You know, are we beginning to see ourselves sort of as we truly are and not as we'd like to be, because I think the reality about Australia as a society and as a culture uh, is a fair way distant from where... The reality, sorry, is a fair distance from how we'd like to see ourselves, and it's incidents like this which sort of underline that gap to me. Really well said, Rowan. In fact, uh, sometimes I'm jealous... Of my, of my co-host here when he puts into words what I'm thinking. But having watched that documentary, I am now quite clear in my view of, of, of past misdeeds. And you're right, once it was made clear how much discomfort this was causing such a great player or any player, who cares greatness in, in this count? Then it was just... It was it was cruel racist taunting. And even before then, so here are your choices. You're booing him because he's indigenous and he's speaking out on behalf of his people. Racist. You're booing him for some trite on-field reason. You're an idiot. What are you? A racist or an idiot? Or a combination thereof? It was, you know, disrespecting him as a footballer was also totally unfair at the end of such a great career and why should somebody who left the game howled out of the game disrespected with his magnificent record feel comfortable being part of the hall of fame it doesn't even it's illogical Rowan. it is yeah. illogical yeah no well said uh certainly some food for thought this raises uh, not just about football not just about sport but uh, a whole uh, lot of yeah. bigger picture issues and you know what? You know what would have been great? Did they think this through the AFL? All right, we're going to put him in the Hall of Fame. And when somebody's in the Hall of Fame, they come up to a montage of their career. How embarrassing it would have been to do a montage of his career and conveniently left out that 
sad but very much real final chapter of his career where he's booed out of the game. What, are you going to pretend it didn't happen? Rewrite history? Because to have that as the final chapter as he walks up to accept his position in the Hall of Fame would have been rather contradictory, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, that's, an ex- that's an excellent point. All right. Uh, well, big new segment today, longer than usual, but uh, some pretty big stories to cover off on. Uh, fortunately, we also have some games to talk about. Let's do that. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Well, the first game of round 13, we have Thursday evening football with us once again. It's at Adelaide Oval, 7.40pm Eastern Time. It is Port Adelaide taking on Geelong. Uh, the Palmer Bet odds and these as of Wednesday morning, you can read the updated odds at palmerbet.com or on the app. Always make sure, of course, to gamble responsibly. Uh, Port Adelaide, a slight favourite here with the home ground advantage. On the head-to-heads, they are paying $1.77. The Cats are paying $2.10 on Palmerbet. Stats Insider have come to the party with some uh, statistical indicators on this game. Geelong come into this game in red-hot form, winning six of their last seven games with a two-point loss against the Swans, their only recent blemish. They're starting to get back to what worked so well from last year, which was a high-possession, keepings-off style, which seems to have been ramped up again in 2021. Geelong easily leads the league in mark and disposal differential and completely starving opponents of opportunities with the ball. The Cats, 503 inside 50s conceded, is the lowest number in the AFL, while they've conceded 400 fewer possessions than the competition's next best outfit. Thus, it's no surprise they also have the league's best overall points per game defence, which has conceded just 54.5 points per game over the last four games. Wow, that is an extraordinarily low figure. Uh, What's happening on the selection front with these two teams, Finey? Pretty simple at Port Adelaide, but very complex at Geelong. Port Adelaide can't consider Orazio Fantasia. And Boyd Woodcock, who's played that small forward role effectively and particularly well in the sandfall, likely to come in. At Geelong, though, boy, we're going to wait till the last minute even post-selection, to see who runs out on the ground because Paddy Dangerfield's very close. Mark Blitzarves should be right to play, but we still have to tick off on his availability. And likewise with Mark O'Connor, Duncan, Mitch Duncan and Cam Guthrie, certain to return. So, unfortunately, I think Max Holmes, unfortunately for you, Rowan, we know your connection, he will miss out. And Cam Guthrie will have to explain to mum why Zach Guthrie can't get a game because I think that's whose spot he's going to take. If those performing players are available, Radigalia is in danger. Maybe Tom Atkins even comes under some pressure as well. Jordan Clark, the unused sub, probably doesn't get a look in at all. Well, it's a ripping game. One that Geelong would be excited to take on because... They've had some softer kills in recent weeks, and I think they're ready to take on the likes of Port Adelaide with a bolstered lineup. Now, whether or not they get that over the line remains to be seen. But even for me, the return of Duncan and Cam Guthrie will be pivotal. 
Port Adelaide, there's something not quite right. There's something not quite clicking there this season. They seem to have all the components that we thought would be able to take them all the way to a grand final or even a premiership. But for some reason, it's not coming together, even with the very positive addition of Alira Lear this season. I'm going to go for Geelong, not in an upset. I don't believe it is an upset. I believe that Geelong have shown the ability to tackle these games, almost plan for the big games and get a result. That's why they are still very much in the hunt for a premiership. So regardless of whether or not all the big names come back, I'm tipping the Cats by 11 points. Yeah, look, I'm inclined to agree. It's certainly going to be tight. Um, Port has actually won two of the last three games against the Cats, including that qualifying final last year. That was only by 16 points. So, But I think, as you say, Fine, I think Port were playing a better brand of footy then and they were playing a quicker brand of footy too they just I don't know they seem to have slowed down the the tempo again a bit which I think might sort of play into Geelong's hands a bit the Cats you know if Port tries to go a sort of possession uh, careful deliberate sort of build up I think that will really suit Geelong so I think Port will be trying to keep this game as quick as they can the Cats as they're prone to do will probably be more interested in trying to slow it down, just play that keepings off style and really restrict the amount of forward entries the power get. Look, Geelong, I think um, overall, you've got to say it's been a pretty impressive season, you know, as does happen with the Cats occasionally, they've had the odd reversal and they lost that first game of the year to Adelaide, of course, in Adelaide. But um, by and large, I think things are chugging along pretty well, and we can see that with the depth they have at selection. Uh, their record at Adelaide Oval isn't great. They've lost three of the last four there, and uh, it's about 50-50. They've played their 13 times for six wins. So not necessarily one of their favourite venues, but, yeah, I just think their their form's better. Look, one thing worth considering is Geelong's record coming off a week off, which is pretty hideous, to be honest, but... Uh, I'm going to give them the benefit of a doubt. I think uh, they're presenting a pretty good side of themselves at the moment. And I think they're good enough to just get the points even away from home. And in a game, Port really needs to win. So I'm going for the Cats as well, Finey, by two points. Uh, Should be a great Thursday night contest. And, of course, we have our regular Friday night football. Friday night footy sees a, a clash of two, well, they've been perennial power teams in the modern era, not so much at the moment for the Hawks, but Sydney and Hawthorne, of course, having played off in uh, two grand finals in the space of three years, 2012 and 2014. The score in those, of course, won all. This game is at the SCG. It's at 7.50pm Eastern Standard Time. The Palmer bet odds, well, the Swans, a very warm favourite, as you'd expect, at home and in much better form, paying just $1.15. I think that makes them the shortest priced favourite of this round. And Hawthorne, you can get $5.50 head-to-head for the Hawks. Stats Insider tell us that the Swans have won the inside 50 count in nine of their 12 games this season, whereas that is an area the Hawks have prevailed in just once. In fact, you might struggle to find two teams as distinct from a strategy point of view with the Swans 
very interested in as direct a game as possible, as opposed to Hawthorne's road to nowhere approach. The Swans ranked top six in both kick to handball ratio and points per disposal, as opposed to Hawthorne, which is dead last and second last in both those areas. And a quick note on Hawthorne's Tom Mitchell, who, of course, also played for the Swans. The 6.52 differential between his disposals per game and Hawthorne's next best, who is Jager O'Meara, represents the largest gap in the competition. A sign, I'd say, finally, of um, the, well, increasing reliance the Hawks seem to have on their Brownlow medalist. Uh, Selection-wise, are either of these sides got much in the pipeline? Yeah, just on Tom Mitchell, it's interesting how his name keeps being floated as a possible trade at the end of the season. It seems almost unthinkable that you'd get rid of the one player who can get his hands on the ball. You don't want to take a team back to year zero because that just destroys the development of youngsters. In terms of ins and outs, Hawthorne should welcome back Jager O'Meara. Two weeks now, he's been out with concussion and following a heavy clash in the game against Carlton, but they say he'll be okay. So he could well come in. Maybe how to miss out. He's been in and out all season. As for the Swans, they say Chad Warner might be rested this week. He's been great, hasn't he? The number one and a very telling sort of player with ball in hand. Expect James Bell, who was unused as a sub last week, to get a full run and 100 minutes of football. Strange choice for a Friday night game, even before the season, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Can't make a case for Hawthorne in this one. I'm going to be pretty quick because the Hawks simply don't have the strength around the ground and I fear that their back line might get taught a bit of a lesson. Maybe by an ex-Hawk. But he's in pretty good form and he always at them. He's, he's looking like he did in his prime, ominous. The ball's a kick away and you're immediately thinking, buddy. And at the other end, Hawthorne just don't have the firepower anymore with ageing stars unable to really get their hands on the ball consistency and the youngsters not quite coming on yet. Swans, I think we saw last week against St Kilda that they can win games, but maybe not pulverise teams. So I'll go for Swans by 33. Yeah, look, it's interesting. Sydney have definitely, uh, they're, they're not playing as exciting a brand of footy as they were in those early rounds. But uh, in a way, I think they're no sort of less effective. Their senior core have really stood up to the plate in recent weeks and they're getting enough of those wins where they scrap and scrape a bit and perhaps not playing at 100%, but still managed to get the job done. And that uh, game against your Saints, Finey, definitely a good example of that. Um, as far as the two head-to-head records go, uh, they've waxed and waned a bit, these two. They've, uh, Hawthorne's had periods of dominance. Sydney's had periods where it's been on, uh, on top of the Hawks. But the Swans have won three of the last four encounters against Hawthorne. Most of them pretty narrow affairs. In fact, I think the biggest margin in any of those three wins is 19 points. So not necessarily winning by a lot. Hawthorne at the SCG, well, they've lost their last three. One of them was to Gold Coast, of course, last year in the pandemic-ravaged uh, fixture that saw games being played at neutral venues. They did have a pretty decent record at the SCG for a while. They won five in a row there 
in fact, between 2010 and 2017. Again, though, most of them pretty narrow affairs. In fact, the last four of them against the Swans, all by single-figure margins. So that that was when Hawthorne was a much more potent team than they are now. And uh, I'm with you, Finey. I just think too much armoury for the Swans, particularly midfield, where, as we discussed, the reliance on uh, Tom Mitchell for the Hawks and, to a lesser extent, Jager O'Meara is becoming a real concern indeed. Some of those other players, James Warple's one, just seemed to have uh, fallen away a little bit. So tough times for the Hawks. Um, I don't think the Swans are in blistering form. So like you, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a huge victory, but uh, I've got them winning this one as well by 22 points. So it's Thursday and Friday evening. We have uh, in a round spread out across uh, no fewer than five different playing days. We have two games on the Saturday. Let's have a chat about them. Third game of round 13. It's in Perth and it is 4.15pm Eastern Standard Time, Saturday afternoon, making it 2.15 in WA. There's a good old-fashioned traditional game time for the Perth public. I don't reckon they've had too many of them since they had sides in the AFL competition. Fremantle taking on Gold Coast. Uh, Palmerbet telling us, well, they can't split these two. I think it's the first time we've had this situation. Each side, or each of two, as Peter Landy would have put it, paying $1.85 head-to-head. Stats Insider, can they split these two teams? Well, they say the Dockers are working really hard this season, ranked fifth and third for contested possession and clearance differential which is leading to a heap of inside 50s, for which they ranked fifth, and marks inside 50, where they ranked third. Unfortunately, dreadful kicking for goal is letting them down terribly. The Dockers ranked dead last with a 44.5% goal accuracy figure. Nat Fife, come on down. While generating a major in just 20.2% of those inside 50s, a number only St Kilda and North Melbourne are faring worse in. Unfortunately for Fremantle, Gold Coast happens to be quite sound in the defensive 50, allowing opponents a goal in only 19.9% of entries, and that is the fourth best number in the AFL. Uh, are either side's got any big names coming in or going out, Finey? You bet. Well, you'd think that something's sort of afoot, given that you wouldn't normally expect Gold Coast to be equal in the betting with Fremantle in a game over in Perth. But have a listen to this. Fremantle have been absolutely decimated. We know they had that terrible three minutes where they lost Cox, Fife and Big Darcy in that game against uh, that game last week that they lost to the Bulldogs. Well, the parade of players that are out is just catastrophic because, of course, they also lose Wilson after his indiscretion. We no need to say any more about that. Griffin Logue injured in the game as well. And at the very end, you might have seen Mitch Crowden take a shot for goal after a courageous mark. Well, he did so cradling his shoulder. He's out as well, the little battler. Who comes in? They think Tabernacle should be back. Lloyd Meek can take up the ruck duties. That's not a great name for a ruckman, Meek. Good news that Alex Pierce is ready to come back after a couple of games in the waffle. Haven't seen him this year. And then Reese Conker, a sort of forgotten man, could get a call up 
and maybe a couple of debutants. Now, here's a good name for a player out of Perth. Joel Weston looks close to making his debut. And potentially Brett Buley, not a debutant, but hasn't played this year. We might remember the uh, close-cropped Buley having a good start to season 2020. Much better news at the Gold Coast. Have a guess who's back. I reckon oh. Matt Rowell is going to be put straight into the seniors. What a welcome sight he'll be. Not just for Gold Coast fans, but for footy fans who can't get enough, I think, of great players. And even though only a handful of games, he's already been considered in those terms. And Jack Bowes, who had a great start to the season, also available. Sam Day's available, but we've been informed by the club that he's going to come back through the VFL. To miss out, Rory Atkins certainly hasn't clicked since he started his career at uh, Gold Coast, and that's a worry because he's got a multi-year, many hundred thousand or multi-million dollar contract. And uh, little Mel Roses, I think, might miss out as well. Who do you pick in this game? Do you go the safe route and say the home team against the travelling Gold Coast Suns who don't have a superb record on the road and certainly not one in Perth is the safe way to go? Or given the return of Raoul and Bowes and the paucity of quality players in the Fremantle team, go for the side that reads better on paper? I'm going to say that paper translates because ultimately it's just too many players out when you consider all of those players and the quality that's out. I don't think Fremantle can cover it, Rowan. Gold Coast have been okay since we had a close look at them and worried that they were spiralling out of control like previous years. They've managed a respectable performance and a win in the subsequent two weeks. So I give them the benefit of the doubt in a game with plenty of doubts, Gold Coast by nine. Well, I just, uh, I've been thinking about this tip for a while and I still... Can't decide. Uh, I think the uh, Palmerbet uh, boys at a dollar eighty-five each have got this absolutely spot on because were it not for that catalogue of injuries the Dockers have got, I'd certainly be tipping them at home. Uh, Gold Coast actually has a pretty decent recent record against the Dockers. They've won four of the last six meetings between those two. However, um, like the odds, there's a, a pro and a con with this one as well. They are yet to win a game at Optus Stadium, played there four times, lost all four. Look, personnel-wise, you've got to go with the Gold Coast. My other worry here is the fact that they're coming off the bye. Now, um, they're a young side. You know, will that sort of interruption to momentum help or hinder them? Obviously, it helps them get Matt Rowe back, and that's pretty important. Um Gee, I, I reckon you'd almost have to have three hours underdogs given the drain on talent. But they just have a habit of uh, basically I have a reverse barometer thing with the Dockers. If I tip them, they uh, lose. If I don't tip them, they win. So I'm not going to win either way. But I'm going to um, have a bit of a, a punt here and go with the home side despite that massive absence of key players. They have got some decent ones potentially coming back. I think Matt Taberner would be key to that. So I'm going to stick with the home side here. I'm going to go with Frio, but I'm going to do so very narrowly. Fremantle by six points for me. All right, that is the first of the two Saturday games. The other one is in the evening and it's in Cairns. Kazali Stadium, Cairns, is the venue for St Kilda against Adelaide, 7.25pm 
Saturday evening. Palmer Bet says on this one, uh, this is another close affair odds-wise. Uh, the Saints are a very narrow favourite, paying $1.85 head-to-head against the Crows, who are paying $1.95. Stats Insider say that St Kilda's loss to the Swans last week plunged its September hopes down to just 11.3%, according to Stats Insider's futures model. Defensively, the Saints have been dreadful this season. They rank dead last for total opposition disposals, while they are one of just four teams allowing opponents to execute at a 75% or better overall disposal efficiency number. This ultimately adds up to a team which has conceded the third most amount of points in 2021 and which is ranked top three in the league insofar as allowing opponents to generate either a goal or a scoring shot once inside 50, definitely need to tighten up there. They've had injury woes all season. The Saints, finally, is it looking any better for them? No, no, not in the slightest. In fact, they've added uh, the now go-home factor to their list of now growing list of injured players. In other words, from that game recently completed against Sydney, Tim Membry and Seb Ross going home, Tim Membry expecting a partner expecting a child and Seb Ross going home with his wife having to care for twins, offering a helping hand there. Add Jaron Geary, we've listed his catalogue of injuries, unfortunately, in the last few years, almost as often as he plays, he gets injured and unfortunately the shoulder sees him out for a long period again. Poor old Jaron. And you can throw in Mason Wood, who did his hamstring early in the game against the Swans and Max King in real doubt with a back injury, which means they are really looking almost at the entire list trying to scrape together a team. They're playing at Ken Saints ground. Maybe a couple of them can help out. Here's what's happened. You can expect Loney back in the team, maybe by tell. Tom Highmore, who came on as a sub, should get a game. Possibly Hunter coming in for... Max King, if he doesn't play, or Cooper Sharman. Do you know much about Cooper Sharman? I uh, don't, to be honest. No, he's just been picked up in the mid-season draft, and three weeks ago, he was playing Sandful Reserves. He's been flown up to be part of the team, heading out of Sydney to Cairns. Imagine if he got a game. As for Adelaide, potentially no change. Sam Berry's been concussed recently and may make it back, depending on how he comes up after training with concussion protocol testing. Hard to tip a winner in this one, just like this game between Fremantle and the Dockers. He is lean towards St Kilda, but with the team that they now have to present, I think they're going to struggle. You know, if King doesn't play and there's a good chance he won't, that forward line without King and memory, well, it's no forward line at all. I know Higgins, despite his inaccuracy last week, took the most marks up forward, but you can't expect that to happen again. No, I can't imagine who they're going to play forward. Sharman and Hunter? Wow. Both those boys have been plucked from the sandful one pre-season, one mid-season, with no prospects of playing league football on the horizon at the end of last year. Now, look, I've got a tip against the Saints in this one, simply because the team that they're going to put on the field doesn't seem, to me at least, to have much of a chance of scoring. Oh, I'm going for Adelaide by 17. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you again. Uh, 
and uh, you, you probably just swung me there. They're, they're significant outs of the Saints, are they? Membry and Ross. I mean, Ross is a proven possession winner. You can quibble about the effectiveness of those possessions sometimes, but he at least gets his hands on the footy. And Membry, uh, gee, with King struggling to the extent he is, Membry is a massive loss. I just can't see who's going to kick their goals. Mason Wood out as well. Um they just don't have enough manpower there. Look, Adelaide, they got beaten at home by Collingwood. Superficially, that looks like a pretty bad result. But I thought Collingwood gave a, a really good account of themselves. It was a different sort of Collingwood. And I thought the standard of the game was pretty good. And Adelaide matched them for most of it. There's an argument probably should have won the game uh, and only went down by a kick. So it wasn't that bad a loss. How they handle Cairns, well, you know, that's the unknown, isn't it? But uh, certainly personnel-wise, they're in much better shape than the Saints. Um, Their record against the Saints, well, they lost the last meeting last year. That was a game played in Adelaide, but uh, they've got a really good record against the Saints prior to that. In fact, 10 straight wins against St Kilda between 2012 and 2019. So they know what they need to do to beat this St Kilda lineup. I think they're good enough to win. I think the Crows have sort of rediscovered a bit of form, albeit not getting the points last week. And the Saints, look, the Saints were terrific with their effort last week, but uh, it's going to be hard to sustain that without such key parts of the side. Uh, And I don't think their confidence is great anyway. So the venue is the big unknown, but I'm going for Adelaide here as well, Finey, by 12 points. That is the Saturday card. Let's talk about what's on offer on Sunday. First game on the Sunday card is in Tasmania in Hobart, Blundstone Arena, 3.20pm. And it sees North Melbourne playing one of its Hobart home games against GWS. What are the Palmer bet odds on this one? Well, the Giants, as you'd imagine, pretty warm favourites. They're paying $1.26 head-to-head against the Roos, who are a lucrative $3.90. Stats Insider tell us that North are the league's worst team in many ways, but have been really shown up in the clinches. They are ranked dead last from a contested possession differential point of view, and they're bottom four for stoppage clearance differential. Unfortunately for the Roos, they are also the areas the Giants are most adept at, despite their army of injuries. They've won the clearance count in their last five matches and the contested possession count in four of their last five games. This season, the Giants have 10 players averaging at least two clearances per game, whereas the Roos have just five who fit that criteria. Uh, Selection, finally, uh, any cause for optimism for the Roos? And have the Giants got any of that injured army of players back? Well, they do, and that's probably the reason why they are that sort. Because, to be honest, they were down to bare bones last week, but they will be heartened by the return of who will now be, once again, acting captain Toby Green. Phil Davis is right to go, which is great news for a height-starved backline. And Matt DeBoer, who always has a role and seems to perform it pretty well, returns to the side. And Zach Sproul and Matt Buntin ins and outs regularly for the GWS Giants look to be victims of the revolving door once again. And as for North Melbourne, you know, they're getting some stars back on the track. 
but not necessarily back in the AFL side. So a cautious approach with the likes of Tarrant, Pollock and Luke McDonald. But Jaden Stevenson is right to go. And look, he could come in for any number of players, but he will play. Hobart has always been a tricky venue for teams to go down to and negotiate. You'll give us any relevant matchups and GWS's previous visits there. But I'll tell you this much, that North Melbourne, unfortunately, can't put together four quarters of football to apply that sort of pressure. If they could, I'd give them half a chance in this. But with Toby Green back, and as I said, badly needed height in the back line in Phil Davis, I think most bases are covered for the Giants and their overall class. And also, let's be honest, their pluckiness, they've been darn plucky this season, can get them over the line and in, in a meaningful way. So without causing too many eyebrows to raise, I'm going to say GWS Giants by 31 points. Yeah, look, that's pretty much what I'm thinking. Uh, it's interesting. North, uh, despite that horror season they had last year, and none, no one at North would uh, remember 2020 very fondly, but they did have a good win over the Giants at the showgrounds or at Giants Stadium, nonetheless, by 20 points. And uh, just about the last time they fired a shot, in fact, as far as... Um, Bloodstone Arena goes. Well, the Giants have been there four times now. They've played the Roos. Uh, and they're two and two. Uh, of course, that first outing was uh, their second game in AFL company. They got hammered by 129 points. Much different proposition now, of course. And the last trip there was in 2019. And uh, they had a 23-point win over the Roos. Yeah, look, plucky is, is the best word to describe the Giants this year after that pretty appalling start to the season was three losses in a row great personnel coming back Toby Green obviously at the forefront of that and you'd expect that to hold sway I think I mean they're still very much in the finals mix had the bye last week so good chance to regroup and start getting some of that injured catalogue of players back Uh, and since those opening three rounds their form has been pretty consistent even the games have lost they've barely been blown away so plenty to be positive about they do have winning form at this venue and having played there at least four times previously um, and well each of the previous sorry three of the past four seasons they've played North Melbourne at uh, Blundstone Arena so it's not a not a ground with which they're unfamiliar Uh, I think form dictates they win I think talent obviously dictates they win not sure it'll necessarily be by a lot, but uh, I am going to go for the Roos here by, sorry, I'm going to go for the Giants here by 28 points. That is the first of the Sunday games, and the second one is a belter. Well, this next game on the uh, round 13 menu should be a ripper. It is in Perth. It is on Sunday evening, 7.20 p.m., Eastern time, 5.20pm local time. And it is West Coast playing Richmond. Well, West Coast been struggling, particularly on the road, but uh, they turned that around last week with a terrific win in the circumstances against Carlton in Sydney. That victory coming minus, well, we talked about GWS having a catalogue of injured players. Uh, West Coast has got a battalion 
of injured players. And uh, given all those absentees, it was a really good win over the Blues. Richmond, however, well, they had their own story to tell. Looked to be in a bit of trouble against Essendon in the Dreamtime game. Played in Perth, Essendon hitting the front early in that last quarter before an absolute Richmond barrage. They kicked seven goals in about, I think it was about 16 minutes, ending up very comfortable winners and uh, giving a pretty salient reminder of just how potent a combination they can be. Palmer bet odds for this game. Well, not often you see this. It's in Perth, but West Coast, the outsiders in the head-to-head betting They are paying $2.20. Richmond, meanwhile, after that stunning last quarter against the Bombers, paying $1.68. Stats Insider say that the Eagles have won all four of their matches this season when they've won both the clearance and contested possession count. And they are areas in which the Tigers are still ranked pretty low, 15th and 17th, respectively. Something else the Eagles might be keen to exploit in this game is their team's incredible ability to generate scoring shots once inside 50, which could work in sharp contrast to a Tigers outfit, which has been a little sloppy in that area. This season, the Eagles are generating a scoring shot on 44.5% of their entries, which is the best number in the league, whereas Richmond are allowing opponents a scoring shot on 41.5% of entries, the fifth worst number in the league. Well, finally, both these sides been absolutely plagued by injury all season. I'm tipping selection is going to be pretty interesting for both. Well, it certainly is. And West Coast Eagles can happily, from their perspective, welcome back two key big men, Josh Kennedy and Oscar Allen. And we know how formidable they are when they can use Allen as that swing man, whether he's required down back or more importantly, and probably with more impact, stretch opposition defences as a third tall forward. Brandon Archie and Jeremy Brander will be close to selection as well. And Jermaine Jones, by the way, who was promoted from the subs bench last week as an emergency medical sub, he should hold his spot. He kicked two very important goals, looked lively. Uh, The players to miss out, I know he's quick, but I think Patrick Shelley might find himself on the outer. And they'll just, look, they would have been happy with both Edwards's boy, you know, the Edwards boys and a couple of the other youngsters. So they'll have to work their way through team balance more than anything else. As for the Tigers, well, Dean Prestia came off with that hamstring. You would have put a line through him, but he trained during the week. Not impossible to play, but doubtful. And an immediate and obvious replacement very welcome return for Kane Lambert at Richmond. An important part structurally to a team when they're in full flight. What a game, Rowan. You know, Richmond can't afford too many missteps from here on in. They were 5 all. They won their next game. Well done them. And a good win against the Bombers being headed in the last quarter. You'd normally say for mortal teams that a trip west to face the West Coast Eagles is just the sort of Mission impossible roadblock that really would give them one step forward, one step backwards and have them still in a clutter of teams in or just outside the eight because they're hard games to win, very hard to win. But the Tigers, for me, have that level of concentration, being able to fixate on a game 
that is vital for them to give themselves a bit of breathing space and also assist in their climb up the ladder. Are they playing their very best football? Probably not, not without Tom Lynch, but they'd be heartened by the form of Troll, who rucked and can go forward. And they'd also be pleased, even though with the loss of Prestia, but the return of Lambert, that the midfield has more beef in it with a couple of games under the belts of Edwards and Lambert. Yes, uh, uh, Edwards and Cockshot. Yes, it's a stronger West Coast team. But as I say, this is a game that Richmond, we know they're going to be focused on. And we know when they do that, they're almost impossible to beat. Tigers by 13 in a really important and what should be a great game of football. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you again. Hardly ever do I tip against West Coast at home, but uh, well, the Tigers. I said they'd turn the corner in that last quarter against Adelaide the previous week. I don't think um, I, d- I still don't feel that's necessarily wrong because whilst they struggled to put away Essendon, I thought Essendon really put in a top-notch performance, and Richmond weren't playing badly before that last quarter foot to the pedal. Uh, that was just a high gear. And the fact that they were able to reach that uh, indicates to me that they are gradually getting a lot closer to their 100% output. Also an indicator, I think the ground probably suits them. You know, they're a team which has plenty of run and I think uh, Optus Stadium should suit them in that regard. They've won three of the last four clashes against the Eagles. Perth, um Optus Stadium is a venue they've now only played at three times. Uh, Of course, the most recent just last week. Uh, They've won two of the three, but, uh, and it's a fairly big but, they haven't been against West Coast. The ones they have played against West Coast, they went down pretty heavily. And that actually was in 2018 at a time the Tigers were playing some pretty good football. So that's certainly something to keep in mind. That said, Look, really impressive, the Eagles last week. Couldn't have been more impressive, really, given all those absentees. Yes, they get a few back, but I, once again, stand by the Tigers. I think uh, their best is a little bit better than everyone else's. And if they can play anywhere near the sort of footy they turned on in that last 20 minutes last week, they are going to be hard to stop, not only this week, but for the remainder of the season. So uh, I don't think it'll be by a lot, but I am going for the Tigers also, 16 points for me. So that's the end of Sunday, and uh, normally you'd think that is the end of the round. But, of course, we have a big event game on. It's the big freeze happening on the Queen's Birthday Monday. Well, it's an annual fixture on the calendar. The big freeze, uh, funds being raised, of course, and Neil Danaher, a wonderful ambassador for uh, the funding of research into motor neurone disease. Uh, The big slide, that will still be happening at the MCG. The game, however, won't be there. It will be at the SCG, where I think it's pretty safe to say we haven't seen Melbourne and Collingwood play before. What does that neutral venue do to uh, either side in terms of favor is a favoritism and also what does the sudden uh, resignation of Nathan Buckley as Collingwood coach and the fact that this will be his last ever game in charge of the pies do to things well um, these odds were prior to that announcement it's important to say from Palmer bet but uh, they had Melbourne a very warm favorite paying a dollar at 15 and the pies paying five dollars. 50. Will those odds come in 
in the wake of the fact that this will be Buckley's last game. Who knows? Stats Insider say the league's most accountable team pitted perhaps against the AFL's least accountable team. What are we talking about? Well, Melbourne's defence has been outstanding this season. While they do allow our opponents to enter their defensive 50, they pulverise sides once they get inside. They rank second in the league for total intercept disposals, are the only team to have given up less than 100 marks inside 50, and are easily the league's best for suppressing opposition goal and scoring shot opportunities once those opponents are inside 50. Collingwood, on the other hand, ranks 11th for tackle differential and 13th for uncontested possession differential, while their opponents are dining out and being allowed to execute 75.3% disposal efficiency, the league's second worst number. One last damning stat for the Pies, they're allowing opponents an uncontested mark for every 2.3 opponents' kicks, which is easily the worst number in the league. Not the sort of stats which inspire you to tip an upset, but the Buckley resignation. Oh, gee, maybe that changes the equation. Uh, what about selection, Finey? Does that change the equation? Not too much in favour of Collingwood. I'll explain why. The Pies, Braden Sear came off with a jaw injury last week and uh, Callum Brown did all right when coming on. So I think they'll go with that Callum Brown to start in the 22. I also think that they would add McCreary. Now, he doesn't necessarily hit the scoreboard a lot, even though a slight improve in output in his last game or so, but he is a heavy forward line pressure man. And in the close confines of the SCG, I reckon they might give him a run and bring him in for Jack Magden, who is, again, one of those revolving door players that seems to get a mention on this segment every week, either in or out. Now, why the ins and outs aren't great for Collingwood is because Melbourne welcomed back a key component to their unit. He really has had a magnificent time of it since joining the side from Fremantle. I speak of a player you're enamoured with, Ed Langdon. Who does he come in for? Probably Sparrow or Melcham. Both performed well last week in as much that they provide certain structural elements. Melcham very much now more run with and hit up than goal kicker. And I think he might be the one to miss out. His job a little bit less defined than a Sparrow who was good on ball when thrown into that position. Look, you do get a lift with a new coach when the outgoing coach is a bit on the nose. Or as they say in English soccer, when they've lost the sheds. But I don't think that's the case. Well, it's not the case. Collingwood had a good win last week against Adelaide. You pointed out the quality of the game. And we know going there has been a difficult road to hoe for the best of teams, including their opponents, Melbourne, who lost a similar encounter. So I don't expect too much of a lift with Nathan Buckley declaring that this will be his last game. Or was it Collingwood declaring it'll be his last game? Anywho, the fact remains that Melbourne is on top of the ladder. It would be disrespectful to tip against them and also disregard how well the unit is working. With that midfield, with their stoppage brilliance, led by Oliver and Brayshaw, suited by the SCG, I've got no problems tipping them against an incoming, outgoing coach or flotilla of them. Melbourne by 19 for me. All right. The venue is pretty interesting, I reckon, because uh, Melbourne have had their issues there. The Pies have as well. 
Um, but And yet the last time these two teams met was also at a neutral venue. Of course, the uh, COVID-afflicted 2020, uh, Melbourne had a really easy win over Collingwood, 56 points at the Gabba. Uh, I haven't played them at the SCG, of course, but uh, I just wonder if the lesser crowd at the SCG might work in Melbourne's advantage. Um, Size-wise, the ground might not suit them quite as much. And we saw last week the way they got their game going in the second half against Brisbane. They are now a side which can really damage opponents on the outside. Uh, So to have Langdon back would be a huge plus for them. But the Pies also managed to finally break the shackles of that uh, glacial-like pace with which they have been playing. And surprise, surprise, hit the scoreboard a bit more as a result. Uh, it really did look like a different Collingwood and and some real spark and energy generated by some of those young guys too. Uh, Bianco, one of them, and Poulter, the other one. I thought both of them really had their moments in that win last week. And uh, that's something to look forward to to the future. Like you though, Finey, um, it would be disrespectful to tip against the Ds. And those stats inside are stats really back up for me just how solid they are across all areas. They're potent up forward. Their defence is outstanding, the best in the competition. And the midfield deep and now with a much better balance of inside and outside work. All up, I think that spells too much depth for the Pies. Look, they might get a, a considerable lift for Buckley's last game. I remember when Neil Danaher at Melbourne announced his Uh, departure and uh, they almost caused a massive upset against Essendon all the way back in 2007. I don't know why I'm channeling that one, but uh, I can see the Pies really lifting four bucks. I can't see it being enough to get them a win against a side which has only lost one game for the season and even that one by one point. I'm going for the Demons by 28 points. All right, that is round 13 previewed, all seven games. And, of course, one more buy round left next week before it's back to normal. But this podcast is always normal. And the normalist segment and probably the most popular segment we're about to do right now. Ah, that beautiful intro music. Well, we've got a couple of heart stoppers and heart breakers for you this week. I won't tell you which teams are on the receiving end because I couldn't do that to you. For everyone else, though, it was pretty gripping, dramatic listening to uh, a couple of nail-biting games. I'm going to go first, and uh, sorry to do this to you, Fans of the old, late, lamented Fitzroy. We have had a couple of your triumphs in the past. This one, absolutely heartbreaking. We go back to Amy Stadium in Adelaide. It is round 12, 1991. The Lions have been absolutely struggling in their first year under new coach Robert Shaw. Uh, They have won just one of those previous 11 games. That victory coming the week before against Geelong. Could they start building a bit of momentum? Well, it looked like it this evening against the Crows, even at home, in the wet. A terrible Sunday evening game time for this game, 7.20 on a Sunday evening. Uh, Fitzroy slogged it out brilliantly, led most of this game, 
and uh, with scores kept low, look to have things in control with only a handful of minutes left on the clock. Alas, it was not to be. Let's have a listen. Here's Marshall. Oh, what oh. a strong tackle. What a magnificent oh, kick. Let it go. Oh, that was a magnificent tackle. I'd love to see Look, this. Look at this. Look at this. Bang. Oh, great tackle. He's been oh, penalised. I'd love. Oh, Come well, we can't on. see that. Was what that too high? That? I'd like to see. No. Oh. Marshall's got the kick from 30 metres, what I thought was a sensational tackle. And the clock ticking down, 1 minute 20. Well, he's directly in front, Marshall, and I think he's popped it through for a goal, so the game's not over yet. David Marshall has kicked his first, the lead, three points in favour of Fitzroy. Just over a minute remaining, three points the margin. Hart tries to get it out of the centre. He'll lead Marshall to push it down to the forward line, but it's socket wide towards the wing. Abernethy can't get there. Rowe can. Pulls it round his body. Kicks Fitzroy up to the half-forward line. Over the head of Dundas it goes. Some solid work micking over the wall, and there'll be a free kick to Don't go to the tell me they're going to pinch this. 44 seconds remaining. Oh, and the got to get a goal. They've got to get a goal. Well, he's a long, long way out. He just kicks over the centre. They need a he's mark. Another free kick. Oh, Another come free on. kick. He was held initially. Oh. 30 seconds remaining. Jarman. He's got to go long. Why What's he go done? out there? He's gone to Paul Ruse. He couldn't take the mark. But Ruse tries to bottle it up. Now, boys, got to hold it. Oh, oh, no. oh, this is murder. Absolute oh. murder. No, it's on, Peter. Oh, now they all come murder. on. Jamison is going to take the ball. He's if, kicked two goals. If they win this game, it's been pinched. Absolutely stolen by... Uh, well, it's going to be the last kick of the day. This is going to be the last kick. Well, watch this. Watch this on replay. Look at him. He's tried to make an effort. But Jamison oh, is... I'll tell you what. Might have been for throw. They've got the best guy having the kick. He is a great kick. Is he going the torpedo punt? The siren has gone. The siren has gone. This kick, if it's a goal, will win the match for the Crows. From 47 metres. It'll make the distance. Oh, he's kicked it. They stole it. It's a goal. Absolute murder. Absolute murder. Unbelievable finish. Well, you know, as the next umpire myself, Rowan, I am loathe to, and, and I think you're, you agree here, to ever say that umpires definitively cost a team a game but I think in this instance, we're in agreement with Peter McKenna. They were robbed. <laughs> Dead set robbed. It was just almost hard to hear it again. But poor old Fitzroy, whipping boys, copped it good and proper that night, didn't they? Well, they did. And uh, you know what? Until this year, I, I would insist that is the only game I've ever seen definitively decided by umpiring. Funnily enough, this year, you could argue we might have even had three. Uh, certainly Geelong-Brisbane, the uh, non-free kick against Blitzarves, and then the non-paid Jeremy Cameron Mark for Geelong, and then the uh, deliberate out-of-bounds uh, not paid against Adelaide when they beat Melbourne. So it might be four now, but uh, that is certainly the standout. And look, Fitzroy had been really struggling early that season and been smashed, and they'd finally... Got a win on the board the previous week, and uh, I could have it ripped their heart open. In, in fact, it pretty much did because after that uh, game, 
they would uh, suffer another seven straight defeats um, before rallying a bit at the end of that season. But, uh, oh, you could just see how uh, heartbroken the Fitzroy players were at the end of that game. And uh, that last decision in particular, the holding the ball just in the conditions, an absolute shocker. It wouldn't have even been paid today. It was so uh, fleeting, the ball trapped under the Fitzroy player. And uh, then uh, awarding the free kick to Rod Jamison was Eddie Hocking for Adelaide who picked up the ball and was preparing <laughs> to take the shot. And then the umpire said, no, Rod Jamison, who, as Peter McKenna rightly pointed out, was arguably in those days about the most reliable kick in the team. So, oh, shock for I apologise to uh, Fitzroy fans. You've suffered enough, but... Uh, a dramatic evening of football and one that uh, even 30 years on, I think anyone uh, of us who were watching still remember that one very, very vividly. All right, uh, Finey, uh, I did mention two cases of heartbreak, but uh, your one, well, a bit of an upside for uh, a fledgling AFL team. Tell us about it. Well, yeah, no such apologies from me for the beaten brigade in this game, Rowan, because they've had a pretty good time of it of late. Let's go back, and it is timely, because we're going to have our first game in Cairns at Kazali Stadium on the weekend when the Saints take on the Adelaide Crows. So let's go back to that venue in 2012 for unquestionably the most memorable game ever played for AFL points up in Cairns. I speak of Gold Coast taking on the Tigers. And it was Gold Coast's second season in the competition and a season that was going lamentably because we're at round 16. And at this point, the poor old sons are naught and 14. No wins, 14 losses in a row. And it didn't really look like things were going to turn around. At half time, they had every cause to be optimistic, 24 points to the good. But the Tigers had reeled them in. And in fact, led at three-quarter time. They got 16 points to the good heading towards, I think, even in time on in that last quarter. Who kicked that uh, uh, first of the three comeback goals for the Suns, Rowan? I think you know. Uh, it was Josh Caddy. <laughs> a Tiger himself now. Premiership Tiger. Let's have a listen to the audio. It's the last two minutes of play. Of course, last two minutes on the clock. So just over three minutes of action. It's the incredible with the unthinkable finish that is a fairy tale. Well, if you don't remember it, you'll think it was all fiction. Roll tape. Forward go the Tigers once again. Stanley under pressure. Prestia to Ablett. They're going backwards, though, the Gold Coast. They've got to go forwards. Weller. Hits it. It's all Richmond here. Tuck. Delidio again. McGuan, Dixon, tired. McGuan managed to get out of the line. 90 seconds to go. Been a terrific game. It really has been a great battle by both clubs. And maybe early on we didn't give the Gold Coast as much credit as we should have for their performance, but. They've gone inside 50, 42 times, which is a pleasing return. And they're going to kind of be absolutely thrilled with their work rate. They're still trying here, the Suns, but will they run out of time? Or will they run out of pop players? Because McKenzie's given it up. Everybody's giving it up. Prestia hasn't. Shaw, Paul, the sub. He's got fresh legs. 
Everyone else is tired. Brennan runs himself into a circle. Runs himself into trouble. That should be the game. Marek slowing things down. A little chip sideways. They kept coming, the Suns, but they were just tired on their legs. Well, you knew what Jared Brennan was, was thinking. He just had to get out the other side and get into a position where he could take three or four steps and get a decent leg on the ball and hoof it forward. Still trying to make something from nothing. Patrick Harbrow on the burst. Bounces, doesn't come back to him, but he gets clear. 30 metres out. Kicks the goal. They're still in it. Well, you laughed at me when I said 30 seconds to go in the third quarter. Could that be their season? Well, this is definitely it here. And look, they've got two Suns players on the nearest wing. Their opponents are under the defensive side. If it comes out this side, they're in forward 50. Who will get the clearance? Greg with a smothered kick. Oh, it's coming. Swallow. McKenzie can kick it a long way. <laughs> Throws it on the boot. A hero needed. Almost Brennan. 10 seconds to go. Matera. Matera. Hooks it back. Carmichael. It comes to Carmichael. Oh, no. Two oh. seconds to go in the game. Oh. The man everybody talked about when he came across from the NRL has kicked three goals in his career. Siren gone to win the game. Advice from Ablett. Richmond's season on the line, as David King said. Carmichael Hunt. Is he the hero that the Suns believe he is? He definitely is! <laughs> what, a st <laughs> what a story. It was incredible, wasn't it? Amazing, amazing finish. It, you just wouldn't have thought it humanly possible you could cr um, pull back that deficit, that weight in a game. I remember Paul Roos... I think called it the worst, was it 60 seconds of football ever seen on the football field from the Tigers. It got worse for them too, Finey, after losing that one. They lost their next two games by four points each, one to North Melbourne, one to Carlton. There is, uh, there is a bit of light at the end of a tunnel for the Tigers. They did finish off that season okay. They won three of their last five and drew another one. But, uh, boy, that one, I can remember the reaction of Richmond fans. It absolutely knocked the stuffing out of them. What uh, what were the actual details on how late those goals came? Well, this is it, it's unthinkable. At the forty three second mark to go, so forty three seconds left on the clock. Shane Tuck, who just taken a mark, just back of centre, has the ball. Forty three seconds, and the ball is in the hand of a tiger at a stoppage. He kicks it. It's markable, but a little low. And in his second game, big remember big Tom Derricks? Oh, yes, I do. Fumbles vaguely. the mark. Yeah, vaguely. Well, this is his moment of, well, I wouldn't say in the sun. It's his moment for the Suns. He spills it. Harbrow picks it up and he's off to the races and slams it through. We come back to the middle and then anything is possible. They're within a goal and you've got just over 30 seconds on the clock. And as we heard, it, out, it, it plays out with the ball in the hands of the most unlikely match winner. Of course, Carmichael Hunt's time at the Gold Coast now is not only problematic, it was unfortunately 
it finished in in disgrace with uh, an illicit drug situation. But for a moment, at least for one moment, the idea of recruiting rugby league stars for Lau to GWS and Hunt to Gold Coast Suns made sense. And I reckon that's the only minute or so it actually made sense, Rowan. Well, amazing stuff. And uh, yeah, it goes without saying, things have turned around pretty dramatically for the Tigers since then. Uh, it would be the very next year. In fact, they got back into the finals, uh, played and lost three elimination finals in a row, but uh, pretty decent record since then with three flags in the last four years. Maybe reversals like that helped build the character that flows through that football club today. Well, that is it for this week's preview edition on, uh, well, as we recorded, a very big news day, of course. Nathan Buckley stepping down as Collingwood coach will coach his final game against Melbourne on the Queen's birthday Monday. Thanks for your support, everyone. We're always brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season Always remember to gamble responsibly. You can check out those odds for each of the games in round 13 on the Palmerbet app or at palmerbet.com. And we've got some wonderful other sponsors to thank, Finey. We certainly do. And whether it's celebration, commiseration, but always the appetite time means head to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, the burgers. Are magnificent. We don't often mention the chips. Gee, they're a good quality chip. Done in the traditional old style. I think it's sort of double fried and they're super crispy. And a little bag of them with your magnificent Andrews hamburger, the way to go. And the way to go in home renos or full house bills in the inner south, southeast of Melbourne. Pardon the stumble, but no stumbles at West Point property. No bumbles, no fumbles, and definitely. No grumbles when you get the best Renault from Nick Bartels and the boys. And no fumbling either by the guys at Stats Insider. And if there is fumbles, they will be right across them, counting every last one because they are sports and data-driven industry leaders providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, sampling an event 10,000 times to bring you the best range of possible outcomes some great writing on their website to all free to peruse at your leisure statsinsider.com.au great supporters of the footyology brand you can support us too by jumping on the supporter page acar supporter page wherever you listen to this podcast or by becoming an official footyology patron for seven dollars australian per month links all over the website footyology.com.au some great reading up there this week actually a terrific piece written this week by comedian Danny McGinley who is looking ahead to the European Championships of the round ball football variety and uh, they start this weekend Danny's come up with a suggestion about which country you should follow dependent upon who your AFL team is I've got to say it is laugh out loud funny and uh, analysis of today's big news about Nathan Buckley's coaching legacy Ronnie Werner has weighed in on that score always quality analysis 
and a bit of a laugh about things when required on the Footyology website. So check it out if you like it and you're not already a patron, please become one at Patreon. Thanks to your company, everyone. Hope your team gets a good win this weekend. If they're playing, if they're not, have a bit of a break, but make sure you tune in to us on Sunday evening when we wrap up just about all of round 13. We'll see you then. 